If you're looking for inspiration and challenge in the world of early years and Key Stage 1 education, then you've just found it. Welcome to the Early Excellence Podcast. Hello everybody, Andy Burt here. Welcome along to episode 36 of the Early Excellence Podcast. This week, I'm joined by my colleague Luella Ivans as we explore some of the best EYFS teacher and practitioner texts to support your practice. So whether you're an experienced EYFS teacher and you're looking to rethink your practice or someone who's completely new to the EYFS, really there's something here for everyone. So what we're going to do as part of this episode is we're going to have a look at some really important key texts for early years teachers and practitioners. Um, The reason that we're doing that is that we often get asked on training, what books, what key books would we recommend? What um, key practitioner texts would we recommend that you use to support your practice or to support your early years team? And we've put together a collection, really, of some really, really important ones, ones that we've found useful as part of our careers um, that I think actually you'll also find useful, too. OK, so um, Luella's here. You're going you're gonna to kick us off, aren't you, Luella, with, with some ideas, first of all, around some of the materials that are already available to teachers and practitioners to access. Absolutely. Um, I think it's really important that we actually start with what's out there. Like you say, Andy, what's out there, what's available, what's ready for us to just pick up and read and find out a little bit more information about, because there's loads and loads of information out there. So I think it's always really important that that we start with those statutory expectations. So what are the, is the statutory guidance telling us? If you haven't read the statutory guidance, it's really important that we do and that we're familiar with it. And so are kind of the year one team that we work with, the rest of our team, our, our leadership teams. So start with the statutory guidance and then remember as well that there's all of that other useful non-statutory supporting guidance out there. So you know, Birth to Five Matters is fantastic. And there is so much information on the Birth to Five Matters website. If you click on the resources tab on there, you will find hundreds and hundreds of different resources that will support you with your knowledge around child development, your knowledge around the areas of learning, your knowledge around assessment, holistic practices. There's there's tons on that website. So definitely check out Birth to Five Matters. And I would also say check out Development Matters because we know it's changed um, and it is important that that we acknowledge that there's a real place for both Birth to Five Matters and Development Matters in supporting our knowledge of that kind of typical progression of development for children. Remembering, I think as well, that it is that typical progression. Um, But Development Matters and Birth to Five Matters are really, really useful tools in looking at typicality, in supporting our knowledge around child development, and remembering as well that they're there to support our planning. So we wouldn't use them as an assessment tool or to support our assessment, but we would use them to support our planning. And I think that that's really important, particularly when we're looking at children's next steps as well. So start start there. I would say start with the statutory guidance, 
then your non-statutory guidance, development matters and birth to five matters. And um, you may also want to look at, and I would recommend looking at Julian Grenier's Working with the Revised EYFS Principles into Practice book. It has loads of information in it all around effective practice linking to the new framework. And in Principles into Practice, you'll find the seven features of effective practice. Now, it can be easy to kind of skim over those and jump straight to development matters, which is within this book as well. But actually, I think it's really important that we um, know and acknowledge those seven features of effective practice. Um, And Principles into Practice explains these principles really, really well. And it talks about the seven features. So we've got the best for every child, high quality care, the curriculum, pedagogy, assessment, self-regulation and executive function and partnership with parents. And within Principles into Practice, there's different chapters on each of those seven features. So it goes into that in a lot more detail um, and it refers to examples of planning cycles. It looks at ways for practitioners to support sustained shared thinking. Um, There's a, a whole host of advice and support in that book. So definitely worth having a look at alongside those um, other non-statutory and statutory documents as well. Fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I would then, to build on that, I would carry on in looking at those key principles by really making sure you have a clear idea as a teacher or practitioner of of really some of the key writing and research around early years practice and around how young children learn Um, and for that what I'd recommend is Early Childhood Education a book by Tina Bruce. Now Tina Bruce is has of course a world of knowledge around early years education. If you ever get the chance to hear Professor Tina Bruce speak then I would certainly grasp that opportunity because she is fantastic and This particular book is great in that it has within it, in a similar way actually to the Principles into Practice book, Julian Grenier's book, it starts with um, the 10 principles of the pioneers around early education. And um, it puts together 10, um, Tina Bruce puts together 10 bedrock principles within this particular book. So, for example, the best way to prepare children for their adult life is to give them what they need as children. Talks about um, children are whole people who have feelings, ideas, a sense of embodied self and relationships with others, and who need to be physically, mentally, morally and spiritually healthy. Children learn best when they're given appropriate responsibility, allowed to experiment, make errors, decisions and choices, and are respected as autonomous learners. So those principles based on the work of the pioneering writers and researchers, I think are key. And I think are so important when reflecting on our own practice. You know, thinking about the balance of that practice. You know, are children given those opportunities to make errors, to make decisions, to have their own ideas and carry those ideas out? that actually I think as a really good starting point for developing practice, 
I'd, I would look at the work of Tina Bruce and really think carefully about those key principles. Lovely. And I think, um, Andy, that leads really nicely into to the next book that, that I've got, actually, thinking about those key principles and that real kind of that idea of that bedrock of early years teaching. Um, I wanted to talk about the book Interacting or Interfering, Improving Interactions in the Early Years by Julie Fisher. And actually, as you say, Andy, that idea of kind of those principles being the, the kind of foundations and bedrock of the early years, I think as our interactions, um, we know that it, it's a key part of our everyday practice. And we know that interactions are really important for young children. Um, we know that that through quality interactions, um, we can support and extend children's learning and we can encourage them to be really effective communicators as well. And Julie Fisher says at the start of her book, and I think this is such a lovely quote, she says that nothing matters more than stopping, listening and responding positively to the young child. And this book is fantastic in outlining how best to interact with young children. It goes from kind of babies and toddlers all the way up to kind of like a six year old. So you kind of year one practice. Um, But it looks at the importance of interactions and why they really matter to young children. And the the book is split up into different chapters, actually. And it looks as well at that idea of knowing the child really, really well, focusing on the uniqueness of the child and how we interact differently for different children and why it's important that we that we focus on making sure we've got a key person approach and that the children feel, you know, have that good sense of well-being in, in our settings as well. So it's a lovely book. It touches on environments that are conducive to conversation as well. It also looks at that idea of us tuning in as adults to the children um, and really focusing in on the child as a learner in their own right and how we can tune in and really see the learning and then use what we see to unpick that to really move children's learning forward. So if you are wanting to kind of get to grips a little bit more with interactions, which I think is something we're all looking at doing, definitely check out this book. It It's got loads of information in around sustained shared thinking, um, interacting with children as well who might not want to interact. So those reluctant um, children, children who maybe have EAL or use other forms of communication. There's a whole chapter on that. So definitely worth checking this book out. It kind of puts to bed a lot of the worries that you might have around interactions. And it really looks as uh, interactions being um, really meaningful and really successful for the child. So a great book, Interacting or Interfering by Julie Fisher. Yeah, fantastic. Uh, Yeah, I'd agree completely. I think that's a brilliant book. Um, I I really like as well the way that uh, Julie Fisher explores when are those moments when we should be interacting and when are the moments when we shouldn't be interacting and really sort of in detail looking at actually what what would you notice in a child who actually is getting to that point where they they are being where they're struggling rather than rather than really engaging with an activity where actually they need some support from an adult otherwise actually they they may go away from that from that activity they may decide to move away from it where there's a crucial point where actually an an adult has that that opportunity to 
facilitate, to support, to scaffold, to engage with the child, but to do it so sensitively that actually the child feels like they have been successful still, that it's not been taken away from them. And it's such a skillful role, isn't it? Such a skillful thing to do that actually we need that support to do it well, I think. So yeah, Julie Fisher's book, I'd recommend completely. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Um, I was looking at, um, in terms of other books, I was, I've been asked quite a lot recently um, about advice if you are looking to have two-year-old children within your setting. So quite a few schools recently, where I've worked in schools recently, um, delivering training or on consultancy visits. Quite a lot of head teachers have, have asked me recently about how that tends to work when you also have two-year-olds within the school as well. Um, quite a lot of earlier settings, nursery settings, are now looking into having extending their provision for two-year-olds too. And when it comes to that, I think, I think we've got to be really careful. I think we've got to be careful because um, two-year-old children will learn and access provision differently to three-year-old or four-year-old or five-year-old children. Um, that just having, a, having nursery provision, as in three- and four-year-old provision, and then just keeping it like that and then expecting our two-year-olds to enter into it isn't going to work. Two-year-old children will think differently. They will go about accessing the provision differently and have very different needs. And so I would certainly recommend this book, a book called I Am Two um, by Kay Matheson. It's about working effectively with two-year-olds and their families, and it's a really practical text. Lots of practical guidance here for for working with two-year-olds and the specifics of working with two-year-old children, of really meeting their needs, of thinking about reflective practice around working with two-year-olds. So there are chapters on, um, chapters on how two-year-olds are different to other children, older children, how they think differently, how they will respond differently, what they needs, what their needs are, in terms of managing feelings and behaviour, um, in making relationships and personal, social and emotional development as well. So it looks at the prime areas of learning, it looks at key principles of what we need to be providing, it also looks at the, um, that working closely with families as well that crucial link with, with families and building those relationships. So I'd certainly recommend this. So by Kay Matheson, a book called I Am Two, if, if you're currently looking into having two-year-olds on site. Okay. That's a great book, Andy. That's one that I've read. And, and I always think two-year-olds are a really, really are a different breed when it comes to um, teaching two-year-olds. So yeah, I'd completely echo what you said there, Andy, in terms of really ensuring that we're skilled up in the practice of working with two-year-olds because it is very different and you you know you will set your environment up in different ways as well um you might want to check out the 
ITER's rating scale, that that might support you if you are setting up a two-year-old provision for September. It's the infant toddler environment rating scale. Um, If you just, you can look online and and find that and and order a copy, but it will really support you with um, unpicking your environment and thinking about language, thinking about the way you set things up, personal care routines, all sorts of covered in that. But I think if you are going down the two-year-old route, you might want to look at that as well. Um, The next and the last one that I've got for you, Andy, is um, kind of thinking on the other end of the spectrum now. So I know a lot of schools are going down the route of setting up two-year provision, but we're also working with lots of schools that are going down the route of setting up um, a more of an inquiry-based model in Key Stage 1 as well. which is really exciting and um, it again poses its own challenges. Um, Julie Fisher again, she writes about um, this idea of kind of inquiry based learning in Key Stage 1 and how we can support transitions from early years through to Key Stage 1. So her book is called Moving On to Key Stage 1, Improving Transition into Primary School. And that is Julie Fisher. This book is fantastic if you are looking at, I mean, this is the perfect time of the year to be supporting children with transition into Key Stage 1. Um, it's also a really great book if you are looking at um, introducing that idea of play and inquiry into Key Stage 1 as well. It's, it's a fantastic book. And Julie Fisher talks about transition in quite a lot of depth and she describes it as being the idea of it's a process rather than an event and I really like that idea because it's so true isn't it we need to be preparing children all the time for those changes it's not just something that that we do on one day where all the kind of year groups shift up and year six go off to their secondary school but it's something that we're thinking about all of the time and it's a embedded part of our practice um so she talks a lot about the role of transition and that idea of kind of school readiness and ensuring that children um, have their feelings acknowledged in the transition process as well so it's a really interesting read as well as transition she looks at how five to seven year olds actually learn so that idea of kind of brain development and language development and how children um, learn before the ages of seven really so there's lots of theory in there as well so a really good read um, especially if you're preparing for children to move to key stage one and definitely worth checking that out as well Fantastic. Yeah, certainly, again, so, certainly something that lots of schools are thinking a lot about um, and, and probably increasingly so since the pandemic, I think, you know, that I think schools have become very aware of what these young children have missed, you know, that that actually, you know, you, if they've missed nurse, their, their time within nursery or missed their time within reception, that actually it doesn't feel right. You know, it may not have ever felt right, but it certainly doesn't feel right that the children just go straight into perhaps a more formal way of working straight away in terms of key stage one, and that actually there are opportunities to think about different approaches, really, and to really challenge that idea of, of a kind of a more formal approach being, being, always being effective. So, so yeah, it's certainly something that lots of people are thinking about. And, and I would agree with you completely that that book's a great book. Uh, you know, Julie Fisher's fantastic and, and writes 
writes in a really accessible way and makes a lot of sense and, and backs up what she's saying with research, which is, yeah, really a great book, definitely. Um, move, moving on into my last book, I've, I've picked out a book around outdoor learning because that's not something we've mentioned yet. Um, out, in terms of outdoor learning, um, in terms of my own practice, um, the book that I've picked out here um, was a book that I found really useful as a teacher. Um, it's a book called Learning Outdoors and it's edited by Helen Bilton. And the reason that I found it useful in developing my own practice was that I found it really, really accessible. So it's a book that has lots of photographs, lots of bullet points of ideas for materials and resources to offer in terms of outdoors. It sets out the key principles of how, how your outdoor space should be different to your indoor space and has very clear ideas as to the sorts of materials to offer. Um, often materials that actually are, are quite easily accessible or materials and resources that you can, that you can develop fairly, fairly straightforwardly within your outdoor space. So the idea of using natural materials, for example, or some reclaimed materials. And I found it really interesting and, and very useful as a, as a very, as I say, accessible text to be able to really support myself in, in thinking carefully about actually what is it that I needed to do to develop our outdoor area. So this is when I was quite a, a young teacher in the early stages of my career, I found this book particularly useful. So it's called Learning Outdoors. It's by Helen Bilton, really accessible text. I found that very useful. But also if you're looking for more depth around outdoor learning, then there are lots of other things. So um, in terms of more depth, the next step up would be definitely to look at our own continuous provision outdoor guide. So here at Early Excellence, we've written uh, an outdoor guide on continuous provision outdoors, which, which very much builds on the book that I've just mentioned by Helen Bilton in really taking it a stage further in looking at how you might store your materials and your resources outdoors what resources you're going to be offering in terms of different collections of resources for water play, for den making and building, um, what resources you'll need for um, digging, growing, gardening, for games and all sorts of different things. Uh, and still very much around those key principles of what we should be offering outside, but a much more detailed approach to thinking about actually what is it that we're offering, why are we offering it, and what's the role What's, what's the role of the resources and materials? How are we going to organise them? But also, what's the role of the adult outside? So I'd certainly recommend that too. And something that we've put a lot of time and effort into. And I, I think certainly lots of schools and settings that I've been speaking to are finding it really, really useful. So our the Early Excellence Continuous Provision Guide to Outdoor Learning, I would certainly recommend that if you haven't yet accessed it. And then alongside that, if you're looking for further reading on outdoor learning, I'd always recommend the books of uh, Catherine Solly, who's written around risk, challenge and adventure in the early years. And also Jan White, who has written widely around outdoor learning as well. So lots for you to get your teeth into, really. Lots for you to, to challenge yourself and challenge your practice in terms of outdoor learning too.
So there you go. In terms of teacher or practitioner text, I think there really is something for everyone there. I hope that you found the episode useful. Now, if you know someone who's going to be new to the EYFS, if they're moving into the early years in September, then please do share this episode with them. The key principles, as we talked about in the episode, as we've explored in through many of the different texts, I think are so crucial. So crucial in helping us as teachers and practitioners getting off to a really good start. So really do, I think if you can share the episode with them, then that would be fantastic. And that's about it for this week. Um, Thank you again for listening. I hope that you found the episode useful and interesting. Have a good week, everybody, and we'll see you next week.